when all is said and done, my word will still stand. When the governments of this world have made their decisions that they believe are the right decisions, my word will still stand. When your school boards make their decisions for what they want taught in their schools, my word will still stand. You see, man can make many choices and many decisions, and man can live by whatever those decisions would dictate, but my word will still stand. My word will not change. And those of you who are pressing deeper into me, you are becoming more and more sensitive to the division between the mind of man and the mind of Christ. You're beginning to see things more clearly from my perspective than from the world's perspective. I say to you, it is imperative that you continue to press into me. For great confusion is being released in the world. Even many of my children are being drawn into this confusion. However, this has been foretold. It was prophesied in my word. And I say unto you, you absolutely must keep pressing into me. Do not neglect times of coming together in my presence. Take seriously every time you come together. For my desire is to move in your midst in a very powerful way. To move in your midst to bring about change so that you become what I want, not what the world thinks. Continue pressing into me. Continue to seek me. Continue to expect my presence when you worship me. My word still stands and I will always Honor my word, and I will always move in accordance with my word, says the Lord. Please open to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Last Sunday morning, we began a series entitled God's Judgment. Now, this was a series that I thought I was going to begin teaching later on in the year, but it just worked out. He wants it started, or he wanted it started last week, so we did. This is a, um, a very timely series because of what is happening in the body of Christ. One of the things that I have found interesting is that when you talk about the judgment of God, some Christians seem to think that Speaking of God's judgment is only related to all the lost people out there. And I can remember uh, growing up in church, and I would read 
like in Romans or Ephesians or, or what, just reading there in the New Testament, particularly the things that the Apostle Paul had written. And when he would be talking things, uh, you know, writing about, uh, well, you better stop this and you, you know, better stop that and all. You know, in my mind I'm thinking, yeah, well, I tell you what, those lost people, they're a mess. Then one day it hit me. Now, wait a minute. This was all written to Christians. All these things that are written in here, this is written to Christians. This isn't the lost. Oh my goodness. And you talk about an eye-opening experience. Well, this whole aspect of judgment, the reason this is happening now, me teaching this, and I don't know who will or won't hear it in the body of Christ, God is sending a message, a warning, that you better know what you're doing. And if there's stuff in your life that shouldn't be there, you better get it out. Because Jesus is coming back for a church, a bride, without spot, blemish. He's coming back for a church that is a reflection of who he is. The problem we have today is that too many Christians are in no way a reflection of who he is. Now I'm not talking about, oh, we've got to all be walking on water and raising the dead with a halo shining from us. No. No. What I'm talking about is, uh, well, here's a way to say it. Our lives need to line up with what we see in the Word of God. Now, in here, um, here in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17, it says, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first began at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? Now, using this verse to illustrate what's going on here, judgment is happening in the body of Christ. And it's happening more so than what a lot of us believe. Churches are closing. In fact, we had a prophecy, oh, it was several years ago here, that churches were going to close. Ministries are going to crumble. And that things were going to be exposed openly because ministers and non-ministers were doing things and refusing to repent and get their lives right before God. That's what's happening. Uh, churches have closed. And there are things, well, ministers, their lives are, are turning into an open book. There are ministers that are, uh, have been arrested because of things going on. You know, they stand up in the pulpit on Sunday and they're preaching Jesus. And in some cases, they're preaching Jesus and the Holy Spirit and so forth. And then they end up getting arrested. Or you find out things weren't what you thought. Judgment. Now, see, this would bring up a question. I see here, okay, the time that judgment must begin at the house of God. Well, how's that going to happen? I mean, okay, judgment, you know, who's to say? I mean, come on, Pastor Jim, who's to say you're right and somebody else is wrong? I mean, how do you know? You know, who put you in that position? Number one, God put me in that position. 
as a pastor of a church, I have the responsibility to shepherd the flock. And if, if the flock is heading in the wrong direction, or going over here to, to eat poisonous plants, I've got a responsibility to say something, to address it. You say, well, yeah, but, you know, what makes you right in what you say, Pastor Jim? All right, l- let me show you now. Turn over to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. We'll just read one verse because there's so much we want to get into here today. But in John chapter 12, take a look here in verse 48. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him the word that I have spoken. The same shall judge him in the last day. Now you need to understand that, well in fact, if you look in verse 49, Jesus says, For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. So in verse 48, when Jesus says the word, you know, what I have spoken, this isn't simply a matter of what you see in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's in red ink. This is a matter of the Father's word that has passed down to man. Therefore, when it comes to judgment beginning in the house of God, that book that you have in your hands right now, that's the standard. So, I can look in Scripture, and I can see, okay, God said do this, and God said, you know, don't, don't be doing this over here. And I can look at you, and I can say, your life is wrong. Your life is out of order, because this is what God says in His Word. And this is the standard. But you have too many people today who don't want to believe that. In fact, you know, last week we shared how that the Old Testament, I mean, literally the whole Old Testament is a warning to the body of Christ. And the Apostle Paul said so there in 1 Corinthians when he said, look, these things happened back then, and now I'm paraphrasing, and they are examples to us today. So if what happened back then is totally irrelevant, why in the world would God say they are examples for us today? What that means is, you go back and you see the nation of Israel, what they did, and what happened when they got away from God and His Word, and the judgment that came about. God is saying, you, you better listen to this. <laughs> you better pay attention to what you're reading. This is an example for you today, the body of Christ. And what's wild is that you have a lot of Christians, they just don't believe that. Well, no, it's a different covenant. Rebellion is rebellion regardless of the covenant. Rebellion is rebellion regardless of the instruction. So, you can say, well, they rebelled against the law of Moses, and you know, we don't live like that anymore. No, but it was a, a, uh, a warning, an example to us today. If God dealt with them, if God dealt with them and they weren't even washed in the blood of Jesus, seriously, do you not think 
that God is going to deal even more so with those who have professed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? See, in Scripture, and and the Apostle Paul wrote about this, he said that God used the Jewish nation to prove to the world, on your own, you cannot do what you're supposed to. You need a change of heart. He gave the law to prove this. And so now here all of us who have professed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we have what the Jews didn't have under the law. Which means we now have an ability to live in a way that God desires far more than what they did living under the law. If we fight against that, how in the world do we think there will be no repercussions? Now, we took a look, and we won't, we're not going to go back to this, but we took a look in Ezekiel chapter 33. It was a prophetic warning. And again, to paraphrase, God was saying, look, you may think that because you've been born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, you know, however you want to describe it, and you now have my righteousness in you, if you rebel against my standards, then that righteousness you lay claim to cannot save you. Now, you, go back, you can go back and read that again. Re-listen to the message from last week if you want. But he's saying, just because you claim to be something doesn't mean you are that something, because when you start running away from me and you start telling me you know better, then you need to understand. You can't get away with it. And see, that's exactly what is happening in the body of Christ today. Christians that stand up and talk about, well, I'm a Christian, washed in the blood, so on and so forth. But then you see this other stuff going on in their lives. It's like, now there's a problem here. Look over in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Now here in Romans chapter 8, if you take a look, just begin, um, I'm guessing you're there or getting close to it. But just take a look at verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now that word Spirit, it's capital S, but it shouldn't be. Because he's talking about living according to the born-again Spirit, or the born-again life, or the new nature, or what happened when you accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, that spiritual change. He's not talking about the Holy Spirit. He said, There's therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not or live not according to the flesh, but after or according to that born-again Spirit that they now have. Because, verse 2, the law, of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. What we see here in verse 2 are two laws. Now, 
both of them, that, that word law, in both uses there in verse 2, comes from the same word nomos. And essentially it means what you think, you know, a law or, you know, a governing statute. Now, that law exists whether you are aware of it or not. For example, the street out in front of the church is a speed limit. That speed limit is 40 miles an hour. Even though you're not on that road right now, that law is still in effect. Even though you cannot right now where you are see the speed limit sign, the law says the speed limit is 40. Therefore, that law is governing you right now even though you are not actively on that road. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because it's, in a, it's, it's an established law. Well, he says here, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Now when he says the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, there's a, a very specific reason why it's written this way. He could have just said the law of the spirit of life has made me free from the law of sin and death. But he didn't. He said the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Now what that means is, the source of that life is Christ Jesus. See that? It is a law. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So therefore, if I want that law active in my life, the only way that can happen is if I am in Christ Jesus. You understand that? So how do I get in Christ Jesus? We're not going to go to it, but in John chapter 17, Jesus was praying, and essentially what he was saying is this. Those who accept me as Lord and Savior, I will be in them, they will will be in me. In another place in Scripture, it talks about how that, um, you know, we have been risen with Jesus and we are seated together in Him in heavenly places. Now, granted, I understand the concept of seated with Him, but it says seated in Him, declaring a unity. Now, he says here in verse 2, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Now to understand this a little bit more clearly relative to this whole concept of the law of sin and death, let's briefly take a look over in uh, Romans chapter 5. And in Romans chapter 5, begin in verse 12. Wherefore... As by one man, speaking of Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned, after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Now you'll notice here he says, in verse 12, 
Because of the actions of Adam, sin entered into the world. The sum total of all creation, and then death by sin. That word death, it isn't simply physical death, but it's literally talking about corruption, destructive corruption in every aspect of creation. Well, physically, for humans, that's talking about death. And so he says, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men. But then he says something interesting in verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Okay, very briefly. Until the law, what law? The law of Moses. Remember, Moses goes up the mountain, gets the instructions, comes back, and he says, okay, guys, this is what God expects. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, and thou shalt, thou shalt, thou shalt. He went through those Ten Commandments, and then there were also uh, different uh, you know, uh, ordinances and so on and so forth. Well, what he's saying here is, before the law was given, the law of Moses, the sin was still out there. But because the law had not yet been presented to the people, they were not required to offer sacrifices because of what they had done. In other words, what? You stole something? Well, you have to sacrifice this over here. They, weren't, they were not held accountable for that. Now, I think of it like this. A few moments ago, I talked about the fact that the road out here in front of the, the church, speed limit is 40. Now, let's just imagine that during the night, somebody goes out and cuts down all the speed limit 40 mile per hour road signs. So now here you're driving on the road and you've never been here before and you're driving and you're driving 50 miles an hour. Well then, you know, the police pull you over. Said, sir, you know, you were exceeding the speed limit. And you say, what speed limit? Well, the speed limit here is 40. Well, I, I thought it was 50 because on the road I turned off of, it was 50 miles an hour. And he says, oh no, sir, no, no, no the speed limit's 40. And um, you say, but I didn't know. And he says, but there's speed limit signs. And you say, there are no speed limit signs. The officer says, what do you mean? And, and the officer says, you stay right here. And so the officer goes down here to the traffic light, drives all the way back to where you're parked, where he has you pulled over. He says, you're right. All the speed limit signs are gone. He says, all right, look. I'm going to give you a warning. There was no law posted even though the transgression was still there, I'm not going to hold you accountable because you didn't know that 40 miles an hour was the law and that 50 was breaking the law. Do you understand what I'm getting at? So therefore, you don't get a ticket. You just get told it's 40 out here. All right, keep that in mind. You say, yes, sir, thank you, and have a nice day. Well, likewise, what Paul is saying is, look, sin was in the world. Even though no law had been given to expose the sin. And he says, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. In other words, here you had all these people out here in humanity from Adam to Moses. They're living life. And eventually they start attending everybody's funeral. Why is that? Well, because... Sin was in the world and death by sin. Even though they had not sinned the same way that Adam sinned, Adam's sin released 
into creation and into human life the law of sin and death. It was a spiritual condition. It still is, until you get born again. It's a spiritual condition. The law of sin and death is in you because you're a descendant of Adam. And he says, until the law, sin was in the world. Even though you weren't held accountable for things that the law said don't do, God couldn't say, you broke this law, sin was still there. And death by sin. And then if you look um, here in Romans, stay here over in in chapter 7, verse 7, Paul writes, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? In other words, is the law responsible for our sin? Or did the law cause us to be sinners? He says, God forbid. In other words, how in the world can you think that? No, huh? I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law said, Thou shalt not covet. Now, you've got to understand. The law came along and said, you know, thou shalt not, you know, murder. It's like, well, okay. I mean, boy, I'd sure like to, but, you know. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Oh, man, I, that's too bad because, uh, boy, she's looking pretty good. Even though she's married to the guy down there. The law said, follow what I'm saying? And you can say, okay, all right, well, I'm not going to kill that. I'm not going to uh, adultery. No, nope, not going to steal this thing over here. But then, then it says, thou shalt not covet. It's like, wait a second, hold on. (laughs) I can understand the not doing the things. But now you're telling me, it's not just a matter of what I'm doing on the outside, it's also a matter of what's happening in me? Holy moly, what do I do? I mean, how am I going to deal with that? Well, in verse 23, you know, he's talking all about that, and he says, I see another law in my members, in me, in my body, in me. I see another law in me warring against the law of my mind. Okay, what's the law of the mind? Well, the law of my mind. The law of my mind, notice he says the law of my mind, his mind. What is the law of my mind? The person writing this, Paul. The law of my mind is... I agree that God's law is good. He says, do not murder. It's like, okay, well, I won't. I want to, but I won't. Do not commit adultery. I want to, I want to, but I won't. Do not. And I agree that it's not right to covet. The problem is, no matter how much in my mind I agree that what God is saying is right, I have discovered there's something in me. There is a law in me. And that law in me is what is creating the problem because that law in me is in no way agreement with the law of my mind which says, yeah, God, I'm going to be everything that you want. There's something in me. And notice what he says. I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. The law of sin is not simply the law of Moses given to expose the sin. 
The law of sin is the sin nature that dictates your eternity until you get it right with God. And then we get over here again to Romans 8, verse 2, where it says, The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So, speaking, about, speaking of this from the perspective of the law of Moses, the law of Moses says, do this, do this, don't do, don't do. I'm under that law. Well, the only way I can no longer be under that law is if I have a spiritual condition that is different from the reason the law was given in the first place. What was the reason the law was given in the first place? Man had a sin nature. And the law was given to expose the sin nature. So therefore, if I have a change of nature, spiritual condition on the inside, I'm no longer under the law of Moses. However, it goes even further than that. Because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Where did sin and death come from? The original rebellion by Adam. So therefore, all of that, what Adam did, was passed down to humanity. Everybody had that sin nature and the subsequent death which followed up. But, he says, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from that law, or made me free from that which had been imposed upon me by what Adam did. Therefore, I now have a different nature on the inside. And that nature is the spirit of life. Not the spirit of sin and death, but the spirit of life. A nature of life. A born-again spirit that has been delivered unto me and into me by virtue of my faith in Christ Jesus. He is a source. Now this is important because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. What that means is you cannot have the law of the spirit of life or you cannot have the spirit of life any other way other than through Christ Jesus. You follow. That's it. That's it. No other way. No other way. The law of Moses exposes sin nature. The law of the spirit of life has delivered me from that sin nature. Now, Turn over to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Now look what the Apostle Paul writes beginning in verse 1. He says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. For we, we who? He's talking about those who are born again, who put their faith in Jesus Christ, or those who have been recipients of the law of the Spirit of life, or recipients of the Spirit of life. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh, that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Now stop right there. When he says that we have no confidence in the flesh, and then he goes on to talk about 
If anybody thinks they can have confidence in the flesh, I more. Okay, what in the world is he talking about? Well, leave your finger here and let's clarify it over in Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. And just begin reading in verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you? This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit, now he's talking here about the Spirit of life, the born-again nature. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. What does that mean? By the hearing of put your faith in Jesus Christ to receive the Spirit of life. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? See that? So what's he talking about? When he says, are you now made perfect by the flesh, he's saying, let me get this straight. You receive the Spirit of life by putting your faith in Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. But now you think that your spiritual progress, your spiritual growth, your spiritual maturity takes place as a result of you Keeping, verse 2, the works of the law. Or in other words, the flesh efforts to keep the law of Moses. So if we go back to Philippians chapter 3. He says in verse 3, We are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. In other words, what we can do by our own efforts so that we will be acceptable unto God. Then he says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof, he might trust in the flesh, I more. Now look at this. Verse 5. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. Now, what he, he's talking about himself. He says, you, you want to talk about how much you think you can be accepted before God because of what you've done in the flesh? Let me tell you about me. He says, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Now let's stop here for a moment, verses 5 and 6, and take a look at this, get some understanding. You know, he's obviously letting people know, I have the records of my childhood. I can prove to you that I was circumcised on the eighth day, that I'm of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews. But then when he says, touching as touching the law, a Pharisee. The Pharisees, that was a religious group that was never established by God. The Jews did this. They came up, there's a bunch of them that came up with the idea, the priests are corrupt, so we're going to create this new group, call it Pharisees, and we will be holier than the priests. But what happened is, over time, the Pharisees began adding to the law, the traditions. You know, Jesus talked about that, the washing of hands and and all this other. When he says, as touching the law, a Pharisee, what he's saying is this. I kept the law of Moses, but I also kept all those traditions that the Pharisees added to the law. In other words, I was blameless according to the law of Moses, and I was blameless according to all the Pharisees. 
He says concerning zeal, persecuting the church. What does that mean? Persecuting the church, the body of Christ. Now why would he do that? Because he was convinced, prior to his conversion, he was convinced that Jesus was like some sort of cult figure. And that any Jew who put his faith in Jesus Christ and turned away from the law of Moses was going to hell because you've joined some sort of a cult. It's blasphemy. And so he was persecuting the church, trying to purge the uh, the, uh, Judaism of this terrible, blasphemous teaching. And so he says, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Now notice he says, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. You say, well, wait a minute, what does that mean? I thought you couldn't be righteous until you got born again. Because when you accept Jesus Christ and Lord and Savior, the Bible says that we've been made the righteousness of God. So what's he say? Touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Well, here's what he's talking about. If the law said, you do this, you've got to kill this animal, well, if he did that, then he would kill that animal. If the law said, you can't eat this and you can't eat that, he didn't eat it. If the law said, don't mingle the flour with this other stuff, he didn't do it. If the law said, hey, sundown to sun up, this is what you do or what you don't do, that's what he did. If the law said, this feast, that festival, and so forth, that's what he did. In other words, everything the law said, he did it. Doesn't mean he never sinned, but what it means is, if the law said, do this because you did do something wrong, he did it. And the belief was, if you do all of that, then you now are righteous before God. You have right standing before God. That's why he says, touching the law, or touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Then he says, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Now understand what he's saying. Because he just finished telling us, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless, Then he turns right around and he says, what things were gained to me, in other words, the righteousness I believed I had attained to by keeping the law, he says, I count that as loss for Christ. In other words, it's no longer relevant to me. It no longer means to me what it used to. In fact, I now understand doing that did not get me Christ. Only my faith in Him got me Christ. He says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. See this? So what he's saying is, all these things I just told you about, my accomplishments, you know, I lived that way, but now I realize that did not get me the righteousness that I need. In fact, I count all of that stuff, may I be blunt, I count all that stuff as a pile of crap. Because I found out what's real and what's genuine. And the only righteousness that matters is the righteousness that I have through my faith in Christ 
Jesus. You understand that? Okay, now, think about it this way. Prior to that Damascus Road experience, when Paul was <laughs> introduced to Jesus, or Jesus introduced himself to Paul, Paul was living by a law he felt was right before God. But no matter how much he lived by it, he was still going to hell because he was denying the law of the Spirit of life that only comes from Christ Jesus. You follow what I'm saying here? Paul realized that no matter how much he kept that law, it could in no way produce the righteousness that gains entry into eternity with God. In fact, like I said, he, he called all of the accomplishments of law lifestyle a pile of dung. Now you think, okay, how does that relate to me, Brother Martin? I mean, I don't understand what you're talking about here. Well, it's extremely relevant to us today. Here's why. Too many Christians today create their own law. And they live by it. Establishing in their own minds that they are righteous before God. Then, they change that law based upon their lifestyle choices. But the law that you create for yourself is a pile of crap that will send you to hell. And in the meantime, pull you away from God's covering of grace resulting in potential judgment now. And here's what I'm getting at. This series now, this isn't this series, again, it's not directed to the lost. This series is about the house of God, the believers, the body of Christ. So here's what I'm getting at. So you have somebody born again, spirit-filled, and, um, you know, they're in church, everything's going great, and so forth. But then, one day, they're at work, and a bunch of their buddies, you know, it's Friday. Hey, we're going down here to, you know, Wino's Saloon. You know, why don't you come down with us, have a beer? And, uh, you know, it's been a rough week. Really rough, rough week. And you, you get to you thinking that, you know what? One beer is not going to send me to hell. So you go with your buddies to Wino's Saloon and you have a beer. What have you done? You have just now created a law for yourself. And you still maintain everything is good between you and God. Well... You know, next week or two weeks later, you know, you go have another beer. Then maybe, you know, a few weeks later, you have two or three beers, four beers. You keep reinventing your law. And then one day you decide, you know, what is it you're drinking there? This, oh, well, this is, um, you know, this is, uh, what is this? <laughs> you know, this seven and seven, you know, uh, Seagram's whiskey and seven up. Oh, yeah? What's that taste like? Well, here, try it. Drink, drink. Oh, wow, huh. You know, I think I'm going to have one of those. Well, then you have, 
you know, you understand the progression here. Then you see Cutie Pie there at Wino's Saloon. And she gives you a wink, and you're like, ooh, wow, she is pretty cute. I mean, plunging neckline, yeah, buddy. And so then you rewrite your law to say it's okay for you to carnalize with Sweetie Pie. And you still show up in church saying everything is okay between you and God. You still think that you have the same level of righteousness today that you had eight months ago before this started. Now, spiritually, I understand the concept of the righteousness of the new nature. But what I'm talking about is, you know what I'm talking about. You're leaving. You're walking away. You have created a law for yourself that you think maintains the righteousness that God expects from somebody washed in the blood of Jesus. Well then, you know, you and cutie pie, and, and pretty soon, uh, you know, there's sweetie pie. And then, then there's honey pie. You know, <laughs> I mean, a plethora of pies, all right? <laughs> and, and you're not thinking anything about it. Then, you're, you're there with, over at honey pie's place, and she lights up some pot. It's like, well, I've never done that before. She goes, oh, wow, trust me. So you do, instead of trusting God. And then you get high. I mean, and, and this just continues. And then eventually, it, it get, I'm not saying this is the way it happens for everybody. I'm trying to paint a single picture. that The kind of thing that's happened in the past. I mean, I've read stories like this. Then you end up, you know, honey pie... One day tells you, did you know I'm married? <laughs> and you're thinking, what? What? And she goes, oh yeah, yeah, but don't worry about it. It's okay. My husband, he's cool with it. And then one day, Honey Pie has you come over and her husband's there. And before the night is over, all three of you are carnalizing. Do you follow what I'm saying? Oh, Brother Martin, that wouldn't happen. Oh, I beg to differ. I heard of a situation here not too long ago. Husband and wife, raised in church, professed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But they began drifting away to the point the wife decided she wanted a boyfriend. And that's going on. And then wife invites boyfriend to move in with her and husband. And boyfriend does, and husband doesn't put his foot down and say no. I am not making this And see, what's happening is this. Whether you go in that direction of, well, you know, I've always been happy with my wife, but wonder what it's like with that fellow over there. Or, you know, I've always enjoyed my husband, but I wonder what it's like with her. You know what I'm saying. And the more this stuff goes on, people keep creating their own law. And they continue to profess righteousness to some degree. God understands me. God understands you know, my, my needs. God understands my feelings. God, well I was born this way. No, you weren't. You were not born this way. Nobody has ever been born that they cannot change 
what they choose. You're born with a sin nature. What you choose out of that sin nature is totally up to you. The sin nature has never made anybody smoke, drink, carouse, etc. and so forth. Never. But you choose out of that sin nature. And so what happens is Christians, they begin creating their own laws for themselves and they keep telling themselves they're righteous before God. God understands. He, he realizes how I am. Well, He made me this way. No, I, God has never made anybody in a way that is an abomination unto Him. Never. Never. Don't buy into this stuff. These people that want to tell you, well, you know, God understands. He, know, he made me. Th- no. Get into the Word for crying out loud. He's never made anybody like that. They're living as a result, result of the choices they've made. And in the church, that's what's happening. I'll give you an example. You can go back and read the whole story later on. In Genesis chapter 4, you have two primary characters, act, you know, technically three, but two primary characters, Cain and Abel. All right? Now, Cain knew what he was supposed to do, but he didn't do it. And so what Cain did was create his own law. And he presented to God an offering that as far as he was concerned, God should accept. And God didn't accept it. And Cain got mad because God would not honor Cain's law. Follow this? And so Cain, he decides, well, I'm not going to put up with this. You know, I'm, all right, fine, I'll give you a sacrifice. And you know what he did? He sacrificed his brother Abel. But what did he do? He went after the person who represented to him God's expectations for a person. Are you following what I'm saying? And in essence, what he was saying, it now by Cain by his actions was saying, Abel, don't you judge me, and I'm tired of you shoving down my throat all of all of the stuff that you think is right. What I do is okay. What I do is right. And so he kills Abel. In other words, Cain, even though he was raised in that atmosphere, that he was, you understand this. What Cain did, he persecuted the person who represented God's standards. And they were all from the same home. Do you, are you seeing what I'm talking about? And the thing is, when God confronted him over it, there was no remorse, no repentance, only concern that my life is going to be hard from this point on. Because God told him, look, the choice that you've made is resulting in, ex- in an extremely difficult life. And instead of repenting, instead of saying, God, I'm sorry, I'm, instead of doing that, he said, you're not fair. What you're saying to me, it's too hard for me. This is too difficult. It's, it's not right. And that is exactly what's happening in the body of Christ today. You have Christians who are creating their own laws. And the people, you, 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 me, the people who represent a lifestyle 
of the spirit of life, righteousness, are the people that the Christians who don't want it are going to persecute. And you had better believe that's going on now. The Christians are rising up and they are criticizing those who are holding up the standard of God's Word and saying, but this is what God says. Don't you judge us. God understands us. Who are you? Blah, blah, etc. That is what's going on now in the body of Christ. Now look back. You're still in Philippians 3. Okay, look here. In verse 8, he says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. He's talked the power of his re- what is the power of his resurrection? It's the spirit of life. I want to know the fullness of the spirit of life that I've received through Christ Jesus. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. What's he talking about there? He's talking about I want to, uh, I want to attain to the standard that Jesus set when he was raised from the dead. That righteousness. I want to live as Christ in this world. And he says, verse 12, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that, for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Now when you read this, you might think, well, he wants to apprehend the fullness of his calling of an apostle. Well, no, that, that's, not, that's not the number one thing he's after here. Leave your finger here and I'll show you what it is. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now back over in Philippians chapter 3, where he says that, I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. What he's talking about is, I want to apprehend the fullness of the glory of Christ Jesus in my life right now, here on earth, as I live for Him. That is the number one thing we are after as believers. Conforming to the fullness of Jesus Christ. And then he says, verse 13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. In other words, he's saying, don't think that I have fully arrived, because I'm still in the apprehending process. Now, what gives me comfort in this is the fact that there is no limit to how much we can know Jesus Christ. There's no limit to our spiritual growth. In other words, we don't get to a point and say, well, that's it, there is no more. No, we continue to grow, continue to grow. Well, he says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. What is it that is behind? All the accomplishments. Now let me say it relative for this, sir, this particular teaching. The things that are behind, what you have to turn your back on are all the laws that you've created for yourself. Saying, well I can do this and it doesn't matter. God understands and it's no big deal. No, you, you can't do that. You can't. Because there are standards. And he says in verse 14, I press toward the mark. For the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, 
Those of us who are believers, born again, Christians. He said, let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. In other words, whatever, that, whatever God has revealed in his word that is required for spiritual growth and maturity, that is the rule that we are to attain to. Notice it's a rule, not a suggestion. It's like, well, if you think about this, you can do it, and you'll get results, and if you don't, well, don't worry about it. No, he's saying, look, if you want to become everything that you can become in Christ, here's the rule. Here's what you have to do. To summarize it, prayer, fasting, worship, and the Word. That's it. And he says, brethren, verse 17, be, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. Followers together of him and, and others that walk so, what does that mean? Those who are living according to the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Those who are pressing into that place of greater righteousness and glory. He says, now look at verse 18. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Now what's he talking about? He's not talking about the lost. He's not talking about the people who don't profess Jesus. He's talking about the people who profess Jesus. And he says, many walk. Many. Well, i got news for you. There, many are walking that way now. Many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping. They are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Why is that? You become an enemy of the cross of Christ as you keep creating more and more of your laws that to you justify you in the eyes of God. I can live this way and God will still accept me. I can do these things and I'll still go to heaven. I can choose these behaviors and everything's going to be okay. I don't have to worry about any of that. You're creating your own law. Paul thought living by the law that was given by Moses guaranteed him heaven. And then he finds out, no, <laughs> I wasn't headed to heaven. I'm headed in the opposite direction. I found out that if I want to go to heaven, I have to live by the faith in Jesus Christ that got me the spirit of law and the, the spirit of life in the first place. There's no other option. Now he says, in verse 18, they're the enemies of the cross of Christ. Well, what, what happens next? Whose end is destruction. What's he talking about destruction? Eternal separation from God. In other words, you're going to the lake of fire. And there's nothing you can do to change that. Whose God is their belly. You know, what in the world? Whose God is their belly. That was a phrase talks about they do whatever they want to do, whatever they feel like, whatever they decide is okay in their eyes. That's what they do. Call it the lust of the flesh, however you want to define it. Whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame. In other words, to them, everything is okay that they're doing. And they think it is glory before God. In other words, they don't think they've separated themselves from the glory of God. And he's saying, they're living this way. They're making these choices, and they think everything is okay, but it's actually to their shame. 
and their end is destruction. And he says, they mind earthly things. In other words, the stuff associated with this world, you know, over in James it talks about, if you're a friend of the world, you're the enemy of God. This is what he's talking about for the body of Christ. Now, look at again in verse 15. He says, let us therefore, those of us who want to apprehend or conform to the fullness of the glory of Christ, let us therefore as many as be perfect or who want this, be thus minded. Then he says, and if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Now, think of it this way. You may think, you may start thinking, it's going to be okay for me to go with my buddies after work to Wino's Saloon and have a beer. You are now otherwise minded. See what I'm getting at? Because if you want to be perfect, in other words, fully spiritually mature before God, then you cannot be beer-minded. You follow what I'm saying? You can't. You, you can't do this. And he says, if you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. So then the question would be, well, how does God reveal that to me? Well, I'm going to show you one way. Turn over to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. And in verse 13 it says, For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, those who had never ever heard the law of Moses, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law. Well, what things are contained in the law? Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt... You follow what I'm saying? He says... When they, by nature, by virtue of what is in them, do the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts. See, God, in another place, He said, those who accept, I'm paraphrasing, those who accept my son Jesus Christ and have that change of nature on the inside, I will write my laws in their heart. The thou shalt do's and the thou shalt do nots. I'll write them in their heart. And no longer are they going to need somebody to stand up with a stone and say, read this and know what you're supposed to do. He says, no, it's going to be in their heart. He says, which show the work of the, the law written in their hearts. Now look here, their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts or their mindset. The meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. One another what? Their thoughts. We read over there in Philippians that if you be otherwise minded, God will reveal this unto you. Here we see how this revealing takes place. See, the moment that you are born again, you receive a new nature that has a conscience. Now, that new nature is a part of the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. When you deviate from that nature within, you are breaking a divine, holy law of God. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. You understand this? 
He didn't just say you received the spirit of life. He received this, you received the spirit of life in Christ Jesus and it has a law. And that conscience that comes with that new nature, if you start becoming beer-minded or bedroom-minded or whatever-minded, if you start becoming minded in that direction, God reveals it to you through this conscience. Now here's what I'm getting at. Every single person who's ever professed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, whether they're Spirit-filled or not, every single one of them, when they started deviating from the path of the law of the Spirit of life, when they started violating that law, God revealed it to them through their conscience. They have no excuse. They can say, well, I didn't know. Well, I didn't feel anything. And they are a liar if they were truly born again. They're lying to you. Because before, you know, our, our beer-minded buddy had that first kiss with honey pie, there was something in him that's saying, dude, this is wrong. And you, you better turn around and go home to your wife and family. Go. Go. But see, the more that you make those decisions is the more you are searing your conscience and deviating from that law. We as Christians are supposed to be living by the law of the Spirit of life. Day in and day out. Do you honestly think that you can break that law, a, a law-breaking lifestyle? you honestly think you can do that and nothing's going to happen? Do you honestly believe that you can keep making these choices and nothing's going to happen to you? You're desperately wrong. And somebody could say, well, Brother Martin, you're just making these rules up. Are you not in the Word? Jesus said, the Word is the standard for judgment. Guys, I'm trying to help you understand. If, if you've got stuff going on, you better clean up your act. And here's the thing. When this series is over, there's going to be an even higher level of accountability. You can't mess around. Now, some of you may be thinking, you know, well, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. Okay, that's otherwise minded. Because Jesus even warned that people who thought themselves righteous were headed for hell. Guys, I'm going to be showing you some things in Scripture where judgment is fallen on people that maybe others wouldn't have thought would be judged in such a way. You cannot play games like this. You have to live the way God has established. We're Well, I don't want to get too far ahead in this. We're under law. But the law we're under is the law of the Spirit of life. As you live by the law of the Spirit of life, which is, it's revealed in here, guys, it's detailed. What are the conditions of the law of the Spirit of life? It's recorded in Scripture. Do you want to know? Okay, get in here and read it. And when you see something that says, well, you better stop doing this, and you're thinking, yeah, but I'm, I kind of like doing that. Well, that doesn't work with God. If he, here's the law, the law book. When you stand before the judge, and the judge says, you've been charged with driving you know, 65 in a 40. You know, how do you plead? And you say, well, I plead not guilty because I kind of like driving fast. <laughs> and the judge is going to look at you and say, too bad. <laughs> the law says, see, what is grace? 
Grace is when you don't get a ticket for driving 46 in a 40. That's grace. But you push it up to 55, 60, guess what? You have departed from that umbrella of grace. And you're getting the ticket. And do you realize that if you're driving a certain, I don't know what in Ohio it is, a certain number of miles per hour over the speed limit, do you realize at that moment you can be taken to jail and your vehicle impounded? At that moment. And you can scream and yell, well, that's not fair, that's not fair, uh, that's not fair. It doesn't matter. It is fair. Because you broke the law. So you've got Christians, they're going to say, well, you know, this isn't fair. They're going to say, this isn't right. Well, okay, you can say whatever you want. Seriously, you have free will. We saw that first demonstrated in Genesis chapter 3. And we know what happened there. Now, we're going to be continuing in this series, but guys, look, we can't be playing games with God and stop covering for those who are. Stop it. We'll get into that later. Anyway, right now, Go ahead and stand, please.